Amen, amen. Welcome to the online service on Wednesday night. And we're going to continue through the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to begin in chapter 34. Wonderful study, very relevant to us today. And uh, we're going to get into our study in just a moment. But you can get your Bibles ready. Again, welcome on Wednesday nights. Some people have been asking when we're going to go back to in-person on Wednesday nights. We don't have the answer to that right now. We want to get uh, the children's ministry going for Sunday morning. So what we have planned is this Sunday, the 30th of August, it's hard to believe that we're coming towards the end of the summer season. Uh, we are going to continue what we've been doing since the end of May, and that is have our outside service. We do have room in the sanctuary for people to sit that don't want to be out in the sun and also in the smoke. And I just want to, once again, want to say thank you guys for just your support and just you really seeing that people want to come out and fellowship we we've had more and more come out uh during this month even though it's been extremely hot uh particularly when it comes to the 10:30 service and even though it's been smoky and uh, that's not always the best thing for our health but we do have the inside that's open in the coffee shop and then on Labor Day weekend, as we start September, I'm going to come back inside. I am going to be teaching three morning services here in the sanctuary. We'll have limited seating. We'll have social distancing. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask if, if you are wanting to come into the sanctuary and have kids in the children's ministry and also middle school, if you can register, you can register online. And we're going to do our very best to accommodate everyone. And we just want to make sure that we don't overload a class or uh, a service, particularly maybe the middle service, 930. So we are going to have a limit of 100 people in the sanctuary and then classrooms 10 and then the youth uh, group, uh, I believe, because it's a bigger room, we'll have a little bit more. And I think we'll be fine. Also, what we're going to work on through the month of September or parts of September, as long as the weather is nice, to have a TV outside and to be, for you to be able to be out on the deck or to be able to be in the backyard to watch the service on that TV if you feel more comfortable. So we're trying to balance keeping everybody safe but meeting together and the kids in their classrooms and uh, that's what we're going to try. So after Sunday, this Sunday, then you can register for um, that next service. And we're going to do a registration every week. So it isn't like you can get on and I'm going to register for the 930 service between now and the first of the year. It's not going to be that way. I am really praying that uh, before the first of the year, we can stop doing this and just be able to meet as we have, but we're trying to be cautious. Uh, we want to be careful, but also uh, our spiritual health is of primary importance, isn't it? And I know that some of you perhaps that you uh, are still hesitant in coming because of health reasons, God bless you. We still wanna stay connected to you. So we'll continue online uh, at those services, uh, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. I'll have to check and see if we're gonna do eight o'clock, but uh, online services available Wednesday online. And then also we're gonna be doing some Bible studies during the week, the men and ladies studies on Tuesday night. And we have young adults that start in September on Friday night, youth activity. And we want to make sure that you look at those schedules as well. So the e-bulletin has all that information for you. And we're gonna do our very best to just continue just growing in the Lord, loving one another. 
And uh, so if we could use your prayers, we're going to be praying for you. We, we've gotten through this so far. It's been six months since the kids have been able to go to class, and I know that they're excited or to have their nursery open. And, uh, you, you know, we're going to have, uh, we just put in um, some sanitizing um, units uh, in the classrooms and everything. Uh, we're going to be disinfecting the chairs in between services. Um, you know, we've always posted the CDC recommendations, and you can take a look at that. And uh, we'll have even masks available if you want to use them for the kids and as you come in here. But uh, we just want to worship. We just want to study God's Word. And uh, we're going to do our best uh, um, to kind of navigate through this. And so please pray for us. And, and, and I know the registration uh, we've never had to do this in nearly 25 years of ministry, and you probably have never had to do this. Uh, but we're going to try it. Be patient with us. I know that some of you may not have a computer to, to register. Just give us a call after Sunday next week and tell us what service that you want to register for, and uh, we're going to we're going to try to accommodate. Again, uh, uh, we'll give uh, more uh, information on Sunday and how it's going to work, and then. Let's do church. Let's, let's gather together as God's people. Um, there is volunteers needed. Still, if you'd like to help out with nursery or children's ministry, uh, that would help Angie uh, Mosley is our children's ministry director. Celeste is our nursery director. And uh, they would very much uh, let you know or would love to let you know and uh, what that all entails. And then also cleaning in between services. Uh, in September, if you can sign up at that table on Sunday or give us a call here at the church, and we'll get you all informed concerning that ministry. God is still working. God still uh, has a plan for us. I believe we're going to see God working in mighty ways. I, I've been reading uh, and, and listening to testimonies of some of the churches where there's really strong and um, restriction and the people have been coming, and they just keep coming, and the Lord is blessing, and the little pockets of revival that's taken out was uh, taking place in some of the Calvaries, and it's just kind of neat to see, and, and uh, I, I know God is working, and he wants to work here as well. So we do have a Bible study, Jeremiah chapter 34. Father, we ask that you would just bless this time in the study of your word. We're so grateful that we have the technology that even though we can't be in person, and, Lord, we know how important that is. You made us the fellowship with you. That's a priority. But also we see in the scriptures how fellowship with one another is important as well. And I thank you for those times on Sunday that we've been able to meet together. And, and Lord, as we continue to move forward, just guide us and direct us as we come back inside uh, for three morning services on Sunday. We open up the classrooms and uh, we know that you're not limited, you're not restricted, so please work. And, and we want to accommodate everyone. We want to accommodate it when they feel safe, they feel comfortable, and help us prepare for that. Be patient with one another, and Lord, care for one another, looking out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others as a commandment you've given to us. Not only uh, we are to, with humility of mind, esteem others even better than ourselves, but, Lord, we do need your help, and we need your direction and patience. And uh, you have been working during this time. 
And even though we feel restricted at times, even as Jeremiah felt restricted being shut up in the prison, that you said that as we call out to you, that you will answer us and you will show us great and mighty things that we do not know. And I believe that's a promise for us even tonight and the days ahead. So bless this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So ministry uh, hasn't been easy for Jeremiah at all as he is on the scene right before the destruction of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, uh, his ministry was about 40 years uh, long and his ministry is going to come to an end right after the destruction of Jerusalem, which took place in 586 B.C. And Jeremiah's had a very difficult message to give to the nation that refuses to turn to the Lord. It's a message that's very similar to Isaiah and some of the prophets that came before him that said that you have disobeyed the Lord, uh, God's people there in Judah. You have uh, followed the dictates of your evil heart. Uh, you have listened to the false prophets with their false message. You've brought your false idols into the house of the Lord. Uh, you have the leaders who are corrupt and the people who are corrupt, even though the spiritual leaders were corrupt in their hearts. And we have seen that Jeremiah has indicted uh, even the people of their sins, um, of immorality and violence and corruption and and they refused to turn back to the Lord. And Jeremiah, in all these years, he's been faithful to the word of the Lord, even though he has gone through persecution because of it. And we saw that even though the, the words are hard for us to read, and, and uh, as he talks about that Jerusalem, there's going to be death, destruction, and devastation. Uh, we're going to read about Zedekiah here as we open up chapter 34. He's the last king of uh, Judah before Jerusalem is destroyed. He reigned for 12 years, and he was warned by Jeremiah the prophet that don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Now, keep in mind in our study, and I know that a lot of you know this as we travel through the book of Jeremiah, but there's three waves of captivity or deportations of the Jews. The 70 years of captivity began in 605 B.C., and that's when Nebuchadnezzar, when he was uh, there defeating the Egyptians, he gets word that his father has passed away. He now needs to go back to Babylon to secure the throne. And on his way back, he stops in Jerusalem, and he takes Daniel and the choice men of Judah away captive. He begins to take the treasuries away uh, from the house of the Lord back to Babylon as well. And then there's a second uh, deportation that took place, Nebuchadnezzar came in 597 B.C. and took Ezekiel and Jehoiakim, who was a terrible king, uh, away captive. And there wasn't a whole lot left in the land after that. Zedekiah was uh, the king uh, for the last 12 years till 586 B.C. And Jeremiah came along and told him, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. You're under his rule, and if you do rebel, there's going to be death, destruction, and devastation to Jerusalem. And we also hear from Jeremiah, the prophecies, that he said that if you just submit to Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be under his rule, but at least there will be peace in the city. In other words, the city won't be destroyed. But Zedekiah did rebel against the word of the Lord and against Nebuchadnezzar. So as we begin to read this, we see that uh, this is not in chapter 34, uh, not... Uh, that um, far from the destruction of Jerusalem, very close to that time. 
But also, I want to remind you, the last few weeks have been really encouraging to me because even though Jeremiah is given these words of doom and destruction because they have forsaken the Lord in the Mosaic Covenant, and the Lord brought him to Mount Sinai, said that you are now a nation, here's the law, and we know that he made a covenant with them that if you follow after me and as you obey me, then it's going to be well with you. I'm going to protect you. You're going to um, be blessed as a nation. And we know that in those times that truly happened. But also the cursings, the blessings and the cursings of the book of Deuteronomy, that if you forsake me and follow after false gods and continue to do that, that there's going to be captivity eventually. You're going to be defeated by your enemy. And that's what's happening here. The Lord says, you've broken the covenant with me, and you have forsaken me. And for uh, many, many decades and, and even centuries here, uh, since before Isaiah, since the house of Israel came on the scene, after the reign of Solomon, uh, which was uh, in about 950 B.C., uh, there is, uh, you know, this disobedience that has taken place uh, because of idol worship with God's people. So even though all that has uh, been expressed to God's people, God never gave up on them. And he begins to give them a message of hope. In chapter 29, you remember, that he, the letter was given. Uh, Jeremiah wrote the words of the Lord to the captives that were already off into captivity. The false prophets were saying, you're only going to be there a couple years. But Jeremiah said, no, that 70 years are going to be completed of this captivity. Then the Lord will visit you and begin to bring you back to Jerusalem. But while you're in captivity, you need to plant gardens. You need to have uh, sons and daughters as you take wives. You need to, to live peaceably uh, in this place. And God is your future and hope. And we also know that those tender words of uh, God's uh, love is given to them, as he would say that I uh, want you to know that as you call upon me and, and you pray to me, I'm going to listen to you as you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found. So the Lord is still reaching out to them. And, and then in chapters 30 through 33, those chapters of consolation, that we saw that Jeremiah is saying, listen, you're going to come back from the captivity, Babylon, 70 years, chapter 29. But there's implication in the latter days, and that is after a time of Jacob's trouble, and he's speaking about in the future, and that is the tribulation period, that I'm going to bring you back into the land, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You're going to be one. And as I bring you back into the land, Chapter 31, there's going to be a new covenant I'm going to establish with you. And you'll have a, a new relationship, a new heart, a new life. Uh, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. What days? In the latter days, you will consider it. Chapter 30, chapter 31. And uh, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, no longer just on the stone of tablets, uh, tablets of stone, no longer just on the scrolls, but it's going to be my word in your heart, the, the Lord dwelling in your heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall 
all know me, and the least of them to the greatest of them, and I will forgive them of their iniquity. Uh, this is an incredible time when they're going to come to the Lord, and they're going to follow the Lord, and they're going to have the law written on the tablets of their hearts, and they're going to follow after him. And we know that that's in the restoration of Israel that is yet future that will take place when the branch of righteousness comes and returns, that is Jesus Christ in his second coming, and he establishes himself in Jerusalem on the throne of David. So we've looked at all that. It's so incredible. And one of the things that I want to remind you of is that Jeremiah was told by the Lord that this is promise is certain. Uh, he says that uh, I'm going to keep my promise to Israel. This is surely going to come to pass. This covenant that I'm making with you, and when uh, would it ever depart uh, from Israel if heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth can be searched out beneath? In chapter 33, we saw last time as he, uh, the Lord talks about the permanence of God's covenant with them, that he'll restore them. He said, uh, has I cast them off? And thus says the Lord, if my covenant is not with day and night, if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David. In other words, if there stops being a day and a night, we know for certain that the sun comes up every single day. If you can understand the depths of the earth that are measured the universe, then I'll depart from my promise. But the Lord is saying, my promise is sure. And you have the assurance of this covenant. And I will bring it to pass. And I will not cast away my people. It's interesting you, that Jeremiah uses that phrase. Because then Paul comes along in Romans chapter 11. And he says, has God cast away his people? And certainly not. No way he has not cast them away. And then he talks about the future of Israel. That they will be restored. And in that day all of Israel will be saved. The reason that I'm reiterating that once again. Is because we know that the promises that God gives to us in his word are true for us. And, and it is certain for us. And heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away is what Jesus said. So let's begin to look at chapter 34 as we read the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and all his army all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all the cities saying thus says the Lord the God of Israel go and speak to Zedekiah king of Judah and tell him thus says the Lord behold I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire and you shall not escape from his hand but you surely you shall be taken and delivered into his hand your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. Now, it's interesting here, as Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon are fighting against Jerusalem, and Jeremiah's message to Zedekiah, the last king of Judah, is God has determined to hand over Jerusalem to Babylon, and he's going to burn it with fire, and you are not going to escape. You're going to go off to captivity. Now, it's interesting that, uh, as he says, you're going to see the king of Babylon. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 12, verse 13, I'm going to read it to you, that we read Ezekiel writes, that I, I will also spread my net over him, that is Zedekiah, speaking of the king, and he shall be caught in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. So Ezekiel says that Zedekiah, you're going to be taken to Babylon, 
but you're not going to see it. Here Jeremiah says that you're going to be taken to Babylon. You're going to see the king of, of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, and you shall speak to him. So people think, is there a contradiction? Is there confusion there? There isn't confusion there because those of you who like to look into these things, 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 7 tells us in the fall of Jerusalem that Zedekiah and his family escaped Jerusalem for a very short time, but they were captured. They were then brought to Nebuchadnezzar, to the king of Babylon, just as Jeremiah here says, and he would speak to Nebuchadnezzar face to face. But Nebuchadnezzar wasn't in Babylon. He, he was in Israel at that time, Judah at that time, overseeing the troops. So he is brought to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar kills Zedekiah's two sons right before his eyes and then plucked out his eyes, and then he went to Babylon. He didn't see it, as Ezekiel said, and there he was in captivity. So the Bible's very accurate as you put the pieces of the puzzle together, and there's no contradiction that is there. But let's continue to read in chapter 34, verse 4. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace, as is the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you, so they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced... Uh, the word says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah and Jerusalem. And when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish and Asakah, where only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. So Zedekiah, um, you know, as he goes off to captivity, uh, he wouldn't be killed by Nebuchadnezzar. But eventually he would die in Babylon, and he would have a, a, a proper funeral fitting for a king. In other words, it is believed historically that some of the Jews came and lamented for him and gave him that proper burial. And then it speaks about in verses 6 and 7, two cities south of Jerusalem that were left. But as we continue in verse 8, and this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, that every man should be set free, his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Verse 10, now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, verse 13, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, at the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he had served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. 
Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. And then verse 16, Then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female slaves, whom he had set at liberty at their pleasure, and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Now keep in mind, Jerusalem's about ready to fall. And as we read this, here is the practice of, of slavery, servants, that is told to us. And really the practice of slavery of their own brethren violated God's law. And, and uh, what they were doing was they were keeping their slaves under that condition perpetually. Now, when somebody back in ancient times, as you read the book of Numbers, uh, I believe chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 15, Leviticus chapter 25, that God had made provision. If you end up being, uh, you know, a, a slave to uh, your Hebrew uh, master and you were put under that slavery, and that would happen if, for example, uh, you went into debt, you owed somebody money, and you couldn't pay him back. So you ended up becoming a servant to them, a slave to them, until you can pay that debt back, and that was very difficult to do. So God put provision in there that you can't just keep somebody in slavery. After six years, in the seventh year, you were to set them free. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Numbers chapter 6, what it tells us is that God made provision. If, if after six years, they are to be set free. They haven't paid back the debt. You're to, to let them go, and they are free. No, no, no longer uh, to be your slave. But if they choose, Numbers chapter 6 says, to continue to serve you. Uh, they said, I, I like my master. I want to continue to serve him. I want to work for him. He's good to me. He treats me well. Then you could become a bond servant is what... Uh, the term was. And what they would do is they would interview that individual with the judges there at the gate of the nearest village and nearest place they lived to make sure that he wasn't being forced or threatened into it, that he was freely saying, I want to serve my master for the rest of my life. I, I want to, to, you know, be under his authority. And I want to be a bondservant. If they felt like that was their choice freely, that they would put their ear against the doorpost and, you know, uh, take a hammer and an owl and uh, they would pierce the ear and then you were marked. That term should ring a bell with you, bondservant, because what does Paul say when he begins to write the epistles in the New Testament? He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Paul, using that term, and the other uh, New Testament writers writing epistles did as well, they're saying that, that we are ones that have freely said that we're going to serve the Lord. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a powerful picture in that way. But here what was happening, what was taking place, is that they were uh, disobedient to the Lord. They were not setting the slaves free after six years. And what is happening here is in this, all of a sudden, this emancipation proclamation was made that we're going to let all the slaves, females and males, uh, free. And it is perhaps in a desperate attempt to win God's favor. That's what seems to be going on here. And as uh, Nebuchadnezzar is surrounding the city, it doesn't look good. 
maybe we'll plead to the God, we'll, we'll free the slaves, God will find favor for us. And it's almost like they're bargaining with God. But let's continue to read in verse uh, uh, 17, that as we read, Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in this proclaiming liberty. Every one of his brother and sister, his own neighbor, Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence and famine, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant, which they made before me when they cut uh, the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah and the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs and the priests and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. In verse 20, I will give them into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be for meat for the birds of the he heaven and the beasts of the earth. So this is what's taking place. Nebuchadnezzar surrounds the city. They say, we're going to free the slaves, trying to bargain with the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to see at the end of the chapter, well, he's actually going to leave for a short time. And when that happens, they change their minds. Just as we read uh, here, you did what was right in my sight. Uh, and, and then you turn around, verse 16, and profane my name. And you, you brought them back, and you put them under slavery again. So God is rebuking them for their inconsistency. And you did what was right initially when things didn't look good, but now you're rebelling when it seems like that the enemy has gone away. And, and Nebuchadnezzar has uh, just withdrawn for a short time. They thought, you know, it worked. Okay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to bring the slaves back and be disobedient. He will profane my name and you are enslaving your brethren unjustly. Listen, that can happen. There's, there's some real important lessons in this for us. It really showed where their hearts were at. And we've talked about that going through the book of Jeremiah, that during the reigns of Josiah, that there was reforms. Josiah, his heart was quickened as he heard the, the, the book of the law. He said, so when are our nations going through problems? And he called for temple worship to be, uh, to be established again, for the priests and the Levites to begin their ministry, to celebrate Passover, got rid of all the altars of idol worship in the land, but it was in pretense, as we read early in Jeremiah, that people were going along with it. Now, there was some whose hearts were really touched by that, and we read about how Daniel, he came out as uh, a young you know, child out of that reforms and revival. And we see in Daniel chapter 1 that he was purpose in his heart not to defile himself, really stood for the Lord, and same with his three friends as well. But for the most part, the people, it was in pretense, just went along with it. And when, when Josiah died, was killed up in the valley of Megiddo by the uh, king of Egypt, they went right back into idol worship because that's where their hearts were. The, the idols were still in their hearts. They had reforms, but there wasn't revival. Uh, they had religiousness, but there wasn't real relationship with the Lord. He says, you know, the Lord to them, you're only doing this in pretense. So sometimes people will, will say, okay, I, I'm going to do this religious act. I'm going to do this religious thing, uh, and maybe God will relent from what is happening to me, and uh, maybe we'll find favor with God. Kind of like, as I've already said, bargaining with God, trying to make a deal with God. 
Um, and we know that God doesn't make deals. And, and we know that what is really in our hearts eventually is worked out in our lives. So this shows where they were as a nation. Now, this covenant that he speaks about in verses 17 through 20, covenant means to cut. And they would take a calf and they would slay it and cut it in half. And the priests and the officers and the people would walk between the halves as a sign that they would obey the covenant. And we know that in Genesis chapter 15, when you go back to that chapter, uh, when Je and, uh, God had made a covenant with Abraham that I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham, and I'm going to give you all this land. And Abraham fell into deep sleep, and, and we see that um, the, the animals, those who were cut in half, and only God walked between the halves. Uh, and we know that uh, the Abrahamic covenant rested on God's character. It was a unilateral covenant based on God's faithfulness, not on man's. But here, as the people walked through the halves, they were to keep their promise. And those who broke it, they are going to be cut in half, the house of Judah, by the Babylonians, because you have not been faithful. So this covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant that he, they had made, and, and we hear about this covenant, you haven't kept it. You haven't uh, kept the covenant. You haven't kept your part. But as we continue in verse 21, And I will give Zedekiah king of Judah and his princes into the hands of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from, uh, from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to the city, and they will fight against it, and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without habitation. You know, the Babylonians would withdraw for a short time, because they had to go and deal with, with, with Egypt uh, once again. And so they see that the armies begin to retreat, and they said, oh, let's change our minds. Let's go back and take the Hebrew slaves back um, you know, into slavery, and, and you're no longer free. And, and they thought that the danger was over, but the Lord said that they're going to come back, and it's going to happen just as it's been told to you. Uh, they're going to deal with you, Babylon. Here's the thing that I learned from this chapter. We can't get away from anything. And you can't bargain with God. You can't make a deal with God. The Lord gives us his word, and he calls us to obedience. But we can't bargain with him, you know, well, Lord, uh, I'll go to church if you do this. Lord, I'll serve you if you bless me in this way. The Lord desires for us to serve him. Lord, uh, I'll, I'll read my Bible, and I will pray, and I'll uh, live in a way that's pleasing. I, I won't be hanging out at the bars and with the guys. If you do this, you, you, you see things begin to get heavy and difficult, and, and you're trying to bargain with God, and then all of a sudden the pressure is relieved or the situation gets a little better, and you go right back into that sin, right back into that carnality. The Lord desires for us to walk in obedience every day of our lives, to walk according to his word, not to try to bargain with him, not to try to, you know, make a deal with him. The deal is this, the Lord loves you, and he's calling you to walk with him and to obey him in every area of your life.
And we're going to see that there's a picture that's going to be given to them as we move into chapter 35 of the Rechabites, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Now, Jeremiah is not written in chronological order. Chapter 35 is written about 30 years previous to chapter 34. And Jehoiakim, we've talked about him, would be the third of the last of the kings to be ruling. He's selfish, Jehoiakim, he's evil. He would uh, rule from 609 B.C. after his father died, uh, Josiah, to 598 B.C. till he would be taken off into captivity in that second deportation. But as we read what happens here, uh, Jeremiah is told, go to the house of Rechabites, of the Rechabites, speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. And then I took Jehazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, all his brothers and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God who was by the chambers of the princes, above the chamber of Meazaiah, the son of Shalom, and the keeper of the door. And I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadad, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. So here is Jeremiah, uh, and he has brought the Rechabites to the house of the Lord. Who are they? They were not Jewish. They were nomadic people that were the descendants of the Kenites. We read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verses 54 and 55. And they can be, the Rechabites, traced all the way back to Jethro, who was the father-in-law of Moses. They were not Jews, but they had a very close relationship with the Jews. And God is going to use them as an object lesson for his people in the southern kingdom of Judah. So they all gather in this room. Jeremiah places wine before them, tells them to drink it down, enjoy a little wine. And the response that they give is, no, we're not going to do that. Now, uh, Igdaliah, um, you know, was uh, a man of God, his title used for uh, a prophet of God. Uh, and we know that Jehoiadad had given a covenant some 300 years previously to uh, the Rechabites, that his people, first of all, uh, verse 7, you shall not build a house, sow seeds, plant vineyards, nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you shall live many days in the land where you are sojourners. So first of all, uh, jo uh, Jonadad uh, says, listen, that you're going to be nomads. Um, you're going to live in tents, uh, and you're not going to drink wine. You're not going to grow any vineyards, have no permanent structures as home, but you dwell in those tents. And they were faithful to do that. They've been faithful to do that for some 300 years now. And this, as I've said, is going to be object lesson for Jehoiakim and for the house of Judah. Now, today you have what is called the Bedouins. Those of you who have been to Israel with us, Abraham, he lived in tents, didn't he? And the Bedouins today live pretty much like Abraham did, like the uh, Kenites, like the 
the Rechabites that live in tents today. You can see them in Israel and even other parts of the Middle East, and they live in tents. And uh, they've been doing that for um, those who live in the desert that way for 4,000 years. It's kind of interesting that Israel tried to, the Bedouins in Israel, build them a permanent house. So what they did is they said, you don't have to live in tents anymore. Uh, This is modern day. So they built them permanent houses. You know what they did, the Bedouins? They continued to live in their tents. They put their tents next to the house with an antenna sticking out of it or, you know, a disc so they can get their uh, TV and get their, you know, Internet and all of that. And then they put their animals in the permanent houses. And it just didn't work because it's a 4,000-year-old tradition. And here, the Rechabites, they said, we're not going to drink wine. That's the other uh, promise that we made to you know, our, our fathers. We're not going to drink wine. That's a covenant we made. Uh, and our sons forever. And we're going to live as sojourners. In verse 8, Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadad, the son of Rechab, our father, and all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days, and we, our wives, our sons, and our daughters, nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. But we have... D- dwelt in tents, and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadad, our father, commanded us, verse 10. So here, this earthly father gave this command, and you know what they did? They kept it all these years, uh, 300 years. They were obedient, in verse 11, but it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up into the land that we said, come, let's go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans, and for fear of the army of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. So they saw Nebuchadnezzar and the armies coming into the land, so they moved to the walled city of Jerusalem for safety. And in verse 12, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? The words of Jonadad, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine or perform. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. So we see here that the Rechabites obeyed an earthly father, but you, God's people, you have not obeyed your heavenly father. So there's this contrast, this, this object lesson. You know, today people will listen to man's, you know, ways, but they won't listen to God. And as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't just obey God's ways when it's contrary to the Lord, but we are to obey our Heavenly Father. That is to be of priority and preeminence in, in our Christian walk. But let's continue in verse 15. I have also sent to you my servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do uh, not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. It would be well with you if you just obeyed me and walked with me. 
And surely the sons of Jonadad, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandments of their father, which he commanded them, but this people have not obeyed me. And therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadad, your father, and kept all his precepts and done according to all that he commanded you. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadad, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. So God gave them his word, the people of Judah and the prophets would come and speak to them, but they did not obey, listen, Judgment's going to come, and God's going to bless the Rechabites because of their faithfulness. And as we read this, listen, the, our Heavenly Father is going to bless us as we obey Him. He's going to bless us because He's not going to bless sin. And He will not bless carnality. And He will not bless that which is contrary to His ways. As we walk with Him, as we learn of him, as we obey him out of love because we are part of this new covenant, right? He's written his law in our hearts. It isn't just religiousness. It's real to us. And we have a new life because when we come to Christ, all things become new. Behold, all things have passed away. And we have a new relationship reconciled to the Father. And he loves us so much. So he says, this is how I want you to live. This is the way life is meant to be lived, that abundant life that he has for us. And as we do, there's tremendous blessing for us. Walk with the Lord. You know, trust in him. His ways are true. His ways are right. And he desires so much for us to just uh, trust in him and rest in his love and to walk in that obedience. I was reading uh, one of the Psalms that, you know, speaks about that, and um, it talks about uh, that we are to, to learn of him and to trust in his ways, and there is tremendous blessing in that. But we're going to end right there, and um, I think important lessons that we know, but once again being reminded of these things through God's word. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for... Uh, the book of Jeremiah that speaks to our hearts. It isn't just a history lesson uh, to be learning that took place 2,600 years ago. This is a message for us about what sin does. As we know that God's people, Zedekiah, was disobedient, and he ended up being bound up, put into captivity, blinded. And even as the scripture says, if we walk in disobedience and in sin, that's what it does. It just blinds us. We're all bound up in, in um, things that are not good and worldliness. We find ourselves in captivity to the world. And uh, Lord, you want us to be free because we are free in Christ. And Lord, there is blessing as we just obey you and walk with you. So I pray that tonight the lesson to us is that we can trust you, that you're going to take care of us and your ways are true. Teach me your ways, O oh Lord. Uh, help me to walk in your ways. And Lord, to, to know that, that you bless those 
who just do that. It doesn't mean we won't ever have any problems or challenges or difficulties, but Lord, that you're with us and you bless your people as we just turn to you and call out to you. You promised that you would hear us and Lord, that your promises are true for us. So Lord, may we be holy just as you are holy, but we can't do it in and of ourselves. It has to be a work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, guiding us and empowering us. So Lord, I want to pray for those tonight who are saying, Lord, I have gone that way. I've tried to bargain with you or make a deal with you. I want to put that all aside. And I want to just walk with you and be yoked to you and learn of you. So help me to walk in obedience and to trust you and your word given to me. And Lord, that's the heart that you're looking for, a heart that is humble, a heart that desires to please you, that we would have a heart that is clean, a pure heart, a sincere faith and a good conscience. So Lord, help us. Lord, guide us. Bless everyone here as we continue through our week. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30 for our services. And pray that you have a blessed rest of the week.